You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. The choices you make define you. In fact, the choices you make create the story that you live into. It's always your choices, never your circumstances, even when those circumstances are harsh. Today's guest found himself in harsh circumstances. This was in his teens. He was a lawbreaker writing a bad story for himself. He decided he didn't like that story, so he changed it. He literally flipped his life like a coin from the losing side to the winning side. Today, he flips for a living and teaches people how to flip houses. He's really good at it. In fact, his first flip earned him $16,000 a deal that he made without a penny of his own money. In his first year, he made $106,459, and that was more than a decade ago. He's passionate about the potential for true financial freedom that anyone can have by flipping houses. He shares his knowledge on the Flip Factor podcast, and today he shares it with you. Get ready to flip over what you're about to learn from Michael Green. Michael, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Louis, thank you so much for that introduction, and I appreciate being on the show. You have a great voice, man. Thank you. You should do voice work. You know that. Well, you know, I've always wondered because I feel like I have a Baltimore accent. I say water funny, and I say some stuff funny, and I've learned that, you know what, I'm just going to own it. I'm not going to take a lot of time. That's we're, who I am, and I love talk- where I'm from. We're talking about two different things, see? Uh, I'm talking about your vocal quality, <clears throat> and and the accent, I mean, no, this is not, uh, there's no dominant accent coming through. The vocal quality, you can make a fortune on in voiceover work. Trust me, I'm an actor, and I do voiceover work too. So, well, thank you. I got yeah. I got something else. If flipping starts to have any issues, then uh, I know where to go next. Well, you'll probably love it because it's easier than flipping. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Let's start with where you were born, Michael. Baltimore, Maryland, uh, my favorite place in the world. Family's here, and I uh, love the city. We've got our, you know, we've got our issues like every city does, but we've got a lot of great stuff too, just like most cities do. And uh, all my family's here, and I think that's what's great about Baltimore for me. I have a, a Baltimore story. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Well, yeah, in a nutshell, because we don't have all day with this, and it's not my my show. I mean, it is my show, but it's not my interview. Um, <laughs> I directed a play called Hot L Baltimore years ago. So I came to Baltimore to do research, and I went to the famous diner where they shot the movie Diner. You probably know, okay. that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, who knows? But that 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 waitress who was in the film, uh, she's the real. I mean, she's been a waitress in that diner all her life. Her name is Flo, and I got to speak to her, and I got to hang out in. I hung out deliberately in one of the seediest sections of Baltimore because the play is all about a seedy hotel with prostitutes. 
So it was quite interesting, actually. <laughs> You're a method actor, huh? You got, you got into the character. That's great. This was method directing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And <laughs> anyway, listen, who influenced you most when you were a child? Well, I would say probably, I mean, honestly, one of the big things I talk about all the time, I grew up in the projects in Baltimore, uh, Brooklyn, it's called, but it's Brooklyn, Baltimore, not New York. And uh, we grew up in the projects because mom didn't have any money. She was a single mother. And my father, who didn't come around a lot, really was very influential to me. He was always very entrepreneurial, always, you know, since he didn't do it in a positive way, he always had a kind of like some kind of hustle going on or some new thing he was going to do to make money. Never really followed through with a lot of it, but I always was very much uh, loved the idea of like being my own boss and, and starting businesses and doing stuff like that. Uh, so I would say he probably was my biggest influence since there's not a lot of great influences when you grow up in poor neighborhoods. I feel like we're, we're definitely in a lack of uh, great role models. Ah, yes, indeed. And if you lack them, create them. That's it, you know. <laughs> now, did you have a childhood dream of who you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, I did, actually. Funny enough, uh, it came from, uh, I got a lot in trouble school, just like I got in trouble in general. I was just kind of a bad kid, didn't like to follow the rules. School wasn't my thing, I, a little bit ADD, so I, I was always, like, very quick thinking, so I, I couldn't get really had a hard time just like doing stuff I figured I wouldn't use. So I ended up kicked out of school a lot. And when I was kicked out of school, I ended up staying up like all night watching TV. And, you know, there's some cool stuff until about three in the morning. And then it just ends up being infomercials. And I started really like getting a big desire for real estate when I was about 14, 15 years old, watching a guy named Carlton Sheets. And uh, I think there was another guy, I can't remember his name, but there's always, there's a few of them out there. And he just started really getting me to thinking about like making money in real estate. It was many years before before I actually started doing it, but that was where the seed was planted. Well, what's what's interesting is you're one of the few people who says, I had a childhood dream, and what you do now is related to that dream. I mean, that's what's so fascinating. Um, yeah, I love that story. You know, I want to comment on a couple of things, because, I mean, my podcast is Change Your Story. You see, you said, I was a bad kid. I got into trouble in school. And bad kid is a story. And I think ADD is a story too. Like, and it's a story that's tinged with negativity. Um, we find right now, especially in the entrepreneurial world, that the creative and successful geniuses are all labeled ADD. And most of them had real hard time in school because school couldn't contain them or challenge them. It bored them. I mean, you look at people like, you know, Steve Jobs. You know, and, uh, you know, Bill Gates. I mean, these were not people who were going to do well in a school system. And so that story society gives us is nonsense. You know, it's it's quite interesting, man. So how was how breaking the law connected to your relationship with your dad? Well, my father, and you know, he broke a lot of laws and didn't do the stuff right. And honestly, almost everyone around me was that way. Um, I didn't know for many, many years uh, that, you know, 
kind of what I grew up and realized in the projects and in Brooklyn wasn't like how the whole world was for the most part, you know, cause I had only experienced my very small ecosystem of being. So my father and I, one of the ways we connected was, um, you know, obviously as I kind of became like his little sidekick and as I started breaking law, I found out later on as I did a lot more emotional work, I realized I started kind of breaking law as a way to connect with him, you know, and be around him more often because he wasn't in my life as much as I would like. He was always kind of out running, doing his thing and I didn't get to see him as much as a young boy would like to you know be with his father so as I started like doing stuff like stealing and selling drugs and stuff eventually fighting getting in trouble all those things um, I realized our connection started to get deeper because we started you know I was like him even though at some level he would say hey don't do those things uh, I think deep psychologically I mean subconsciously he really actually liked that I was much like him do you are you okay talking about what he did as a lawbreaker? Um, yeah, so he was. Uh, so here's how we're very different. It's interesting. Basically, I ended up getting into selling drugs, and uh, but I never used them. Now, meaning that like a lot, sometimes people do use them, some people don't. My father was actually a drug user, which led to a lot of like stealing and doing stuff like that. And a lot of his stuff was revolved around his kind of cycle that went from like gambling and drinking to using like light drugs, the heavy drugs over the years. You know, very common path that a lot of people take when they, you know, down that. And he got some stuff that's really weighing on him. And, uh, and I think he had a lot of things weighing on him. He was always uh, deep in his heart a good person, but I just never, he never had an opportunity to really fulfill his, you know, his work and become the person he was meant to be he passed away when he's 46 uh, of kind of a combination of doing drugs but he also had a bad heart and uh, the two didn't go well together and so he you know he was working on becoming the man he was meant to be and just never got there due to drugs so um after i really just started to understand the kind of the devastating toll of selling drugs and what drugs do to people, I made a very big shift in prison and uh, that I just realized I didn't want to kind of do that to the world and, you know, my father and everyone else. I got a lot of opportunity to think. I was in there for four years and I was very fortunate. I went as a 17-year-old and uh, how I was fortunate is I went into a program that had me do group sessions uh, a few times a week. So for the first time in my life, I got to actually talk about my feelings, which took a little while. It took a year or two for me to start actually getting a little deeper, getting past that surface level stuff. But eventually, it got me thinking about my behaviors, my patterns. I started reading books on psychology, motivational books, and that was probably one of my big changes. I would say that was my big time in my life when things changed, and it's kind of odd to say that in prison is where my life really took the biggest and best turn, but a lot of it had to do with that free time on my hand and a library full of books that I've never read before because I wasn't a great reader. And uh, when I started writing, I think the first book I read was uh, Think and Grow Rich, and it was the first time that in my life I ever realized like some of those those earlier dreams of being in real estate and being an entrepreneurial person were actually very real, like doing it legally versus illegally. I always understood illegally could work, but there's no long-term gain to that, obviously, and it's pretty destructive for people. The, the, um, you know, to our society, everyone, really. It's not great for anything. Well, it's interesting that you said, gee, it's kind of odd to say that it was in jail that I learned that, and actually it isn't. I mean, it has been an aha moment from, like I mentioned to you earlier, one of the fascinating people I've interviewed turned his life around while he was in solitary confinement. And uh, so that's not surprising. Do you, uh, when, when did you actually get busted and what was the event 
So when I was 17 years old, um, I got busted for selling drugs. Uh, they kicked a door into my house, and uh, I sold some drugs, to, I guess, to a cop, and they kicked a door in while I was sleeping and came in, had a bunch of drugs in the house, and uh, that led to me getting uh, five years, uh, no parole, because um, you know it was a significant amount of drugs, which carried that kind of sentence. Um, I got charged as an adult, but I was 17 and not totally really adult, so I was lucky enough to get be an adult but get put into what they call a youth program for people who were charged as an adult but weren't actually, you know, truly adults. And, um, you know, so that was the event that led to it, is uh, selling drugs and, you know, trying to actually probably what I would call my first step into the entrepreneurial world in a just very negative way. You know, we saw that in The Wire, which takes place in Baltimore, right? Yeah, it does, actually, yep. Yeah, I mean, that was interesting. The guy was actually going to school, right? The guy played by Idris Elba. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting. Uh now, when you were in jail, was there a pivotal event or a person that actually inspired you? Like, you remember the time when you said, you know what? This is it. I got to turn it around. I, I would say it's never for me. It's always, I'm very observative. So I'm kind of one of these detailed guys. I like watching and observing and seeing what's going on. I love watching people's behavior patterns and and. I'm always paying attention. So in jail, I got to pay attention to some really amazing people. There's some people that have been in there 15 years and wise beyond belief. And even though they're criminals, things like that, they understood life. So I tended to gravitate towards the older, more wise people, almost like, I guess, those father figures for me, since I'd truly never really had a dad. And uh, I think it was more the people I kept spending time with, reading books, and eventually wanting to make a big change and be a better person. Once It, it literally was just, a, and I don't know what the event that caused it was, but first six to eight months I was in there, I, I probably would have went back to selling drugs, and there was just a shift where... Uh, at some point, you know, as I kept doing these therapy sessions, I just realized that like this behavior pattern is driven by something that's just not sensical, right? It makes no sense at all. And it's me wanting to be around my father. And first I always said, well, I want to make money. And then they, they really challenged me to realize that like money's not the driver of happiness. And, and I realized a lot of it had to do with more of my emotional connection. And, you know, I realized I can have that connection without getting in trouble or, you know, being in jail, in and out of jail my whole life, like my father was. Hmm. Now, once you make a decision like that, it's just not, okay, that's it, and it's clear sailing. So what major obstacles did you have to overcome to stay on the right path? I would say, you know, limiting beliefs, family members, friends. I mean, I would say the biggest obstacle is I almost had to shed, like, every old friend you know, you ever hear this people like, oh, we've been friends since kindergarten. I don't really have any old friends because I pretty much had to get rid of them because all of them were into drugs and the negative things and we're just not on the same wavelength anymore. So that was probably the hardest thing I had to do was really get rid or kind of, you know, eliminate the people I was around and start to make my circle of people be more positive and more, you know, more towards the the path I was heading. And that was hard to do because, you know, we, we love people that we've been around a long time. And uh, so over the first few years of uh, being free and, you know, getting an opportunity back in society, I focused all on just like, you know, being around the right people. You know, um, say to my listeners, to my storytellers, this is a great lesson in um, it's an entrepreneurial lesson because one of the greatest things I've learned, which it's accurate what you say, it's not only a big obstacle, it's really tough, but the statement environment is stronger than willpower is very, very true. I would uh, agree with that. You know, and so you change the environment, which is great. 
Now, did you have uh, personal growth mentors and coaches? I would say that my first were those counselors in prison. So they were probably what I would call my first coaches. They were really just uh, like counselors, psychologists, you know, the group sessions. They they definitely were the first introdu- introduction to that. When I got into business with flipping is when I started to realize how much mindset shift that I needed. And that's when I started going like Tony Robbins and reading more books, motivational stuff. And I made a big change around like 30, 31, um, you know, probably 10 years after I'd gotten out of prison to stop listening to the radio and start listening to like educational slash motivational books. And um, that's 10 years ago, or about 12 years, 11 years, 11 years ago right now. I forget how old I am sometimes. 11 years ago. And um, I'll say in the last 11 years, I've put so much positivity into my brain it's completely changed the type of person that I, I am or maybe even who I was meant to be. And we talk about change your you know, story. That's, that was the big one, probably one of the biggest factors to changing my stories was constantly filling myself with uh, different ways of thinking. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about stop listening to the radio. You're, you're familiar with Peter Diamandis? I'm not. Uh, you'll love him, by the way. Uh, pick up his book, Bold. How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World. He's a billionaire. He's behind SpaceX, you know, uh, hangs out with Branson and Elon Musk and those people. But uh, this is a guy, a billionaire, never, never watches television. He was interviewed by Bill Clinton, and or he was in wow. he was in an interview with him. And Clinton said to him, he says, Peter, he said, I mean, how can you not watch television? I mean... You know, you just don't find out about the news. <laughs> he said, nope, never watch it. He said, because there's nothing but negativity there. And it certainly hasn't hindered him. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great thing. Oh. I got rid of cable like two years ago and it changed my life. And now I still watch Netflix and I'll watch some shows like 24 and, you know, the different action shows. But I've definitely cut the news out about 10 years ago because uh, I have a hard time listening to the news. It's just really hard for me because yeah, it's uh, so negative. It's not coming from a good place. And, and then I'm very challenging to it. I'm like, come on, that's not you know, – because I know the news people are making things really big, so it's entertaining and it draws people in. And uh, So I've just decided to get rid of it for me. And, uh, and yes, when big events happen, usually friends or family will tell me or, or you'll see it somewhere. But you know, I would probably be the last to know if a zombie apocalypse ha- happened. No, no. The, you know what? The big stuff, we, we find out about whether we watch the news or not. That's what that, right. that, that's what's interesting. Hey, by the way, a plug: if you watch if you watch Netflix, you can catch me uh, being really nasty on that right now in a movie called Recall. Recall. I'm yeah. writing that down. I'll check that out. <laughs> awesome. Being a really nasty guy. Um, now, was there one personal development program that made a huge positive impact on you, or just in general? I've had a lot of little ones that led to the journey, but I would say the one that I had the biggest impact with, I did about two years ago and it was uh, called choice center in Las Vegas. And, and there's other ones like it. I think one's called like landmark or there's a couple different of these, but uh, this ended up being like a five weekend program where we just did such a deep dive into the, a lot of what my drivers are relationships, this next level stuff. And uh, it took almost five months to, to complete this and the intensity of it was just out of hand. But uh, the whole 
purpose of it was being a better person, better relationships. And it was a struggle for me because, yes, I've learned to make money and be successful, but I have not, I'm still working on my emotional intelligence. And that's a journey it might not ever end, by the way. And, uh, but so that was one of my biggest shifts. Uh, what I found happen is, is like legitimately, as soon as I finished that, my income started to skyrocket because you know, who would have guessed you make more money when you're better with people and you have higher levels of emotional intelligence. And, you know, things are easier because a lot of the things that uh, made my business a little more complicated um, were the fact that I just wasn't able to draw in what I call A players because I wasn't currently an A player myself. Choice Center. That sounds interesting. Uh, who's behind it? So it's very small. It's not like an international thing. You have to travel there if you're going to go, but uh, they've been doing it for about 20 years. And Robin Williams is the lady that runs it. And, uh, you know, they've got a great group of people, some very, very strong, lifelong friends that I went through that training with. You have a bond with the people that you spend that time with. It's deeper than most of what you have with your family. Uh, but they, it's very interesting because you create this deep bond with the people that you go through this training with, and it almost becomes the benchmark of how to create better, more impactful relationships with your family members you know because lots of times we're really not at a 10 with our family members is what we find you know we kind of take it for granted and you know we're not putting any real effort into like mom or you know your sister or your brother because you know we we take it for granted we think these things are predetermined oh yeah yeah i know i know what you're saying i i was i participated in t harv ecker's uh peak potentials uh quantum leap program and i it did created a lot of what you're you're talking about now did you experience fear the first time you started flipping houses yeah i was very fearful i uh i read books and wanted to do flipping for you know i thought about it as a let's say a, a maybe but probably not likely for a very long time and then i really started saying you know when the flipping shows came out i started saying these guys aren't that smart i can totally do that you know make it look easy on tv anyhow and uh you know so i was like i'm gonna do it and then six years later i'd read a bunch of books and just never took action and i was completely full of fear you know um i would say just a fear of not knowing you know that unknown is probably a big fear for me i like to kind of have everything mapped out before i take action and there's really no way to do that with house flipping until you find someone that can really help you map it out and and uh, that was the thing that pushed me is when I, I met someone who was flipping houses i was doing carpet for them that's what i got into the carpet business before i did house flipping and um you know they said yeah I flip a house i learned from this guy and they pushed me over to this guy and he started talking and i realized wow there's all those answers i wanted and i ended up paying him 15k and working with him for a year and it changed my life you know, it led to me finally doing my first flip and getting off my butt and taking action. Yeah, you just you just dropped another value bomb here about the fact that uh, you can't have everything in place. That's that's getting ready to get ready. Uh, one of the when I feel that way, I just repeat this declaration I got from one of the courses with with Peaks, and it's simple. I um, I am comfortable with chaos, ambiguity, and the unknown. Just that's a great statement it that's is. a really good statement yeah it is man i just repeat that you know i'm comfortable with chaos ambiguity because you have to be you're just not going to know man and you just take that first step in the dark and keep moving then you'll make the discoveries it's it's quite interesting uh what are the most common house flipping myths 
probably top two would be one one is that you have to be born rich or have money or have education or even really any credit honestly um i came into this 115k in debt i'm a 10th grade dropout obviously i got my ged when i was in prison and i have a criminal record so i'm not wouldn't be say that i have the highest level of credibility um even though since i got out i've done nothing but absolute positivity and great things and but you know still like some people say you have a criminal record i'm not doing business with you or i'm not gonna you know invest with you what i found to be true is that if you know your stuff and you know how to find good deals you know how to hire contractors and you really have a system for what you're doing there is always someone who's like maybe one chapter behind you that knows a little bit but doesn't know what you know that's willing to say hey i want to put some money with you and invest with you people love investing in people who they see as being talent and on the uprise and uh, i was very fortunate when i first got into flipping i met someone at the school i was going to uh he seen the fact that i was just maybe a couple steps ahead of him not that was very much not very probably three Three months ahead of him, honestly, and it did one flip. And he had done none, and he was like, "You feel like you have a system? Let's partner." And he happened to have about six hundred k that he could invest, and that was the reason I was able to go in the next seven years get to where we were doing one hundred and fifty houses a year, and could have never done that without him, his money, his business knowledge. He was twenty years older than me, so it was really um great to have someone who invested in me and trusted in me, even though I didn't have the perfect background. I wasn't, you know, I didn't know it didn't, I wasn't buttoned up or as uh, perfect as any, some people might think you need to be. So the big myth is I think people think, well, where are you going to get the money to buy these houses? Well, like there's hard money lenders that'll lend you the money. And then sometimes they'll make you put 20 to 50 K in the deal, but that money can come from friends, family, people who want to invest in you. When people see you doing really positive, good stuff and, and investing in you, like you're making a big investment yourself they want to come along with that so the big investment I made was that 15k with my coach and I didn't really have it I had to put that on like four credit cards and uh, and you know he convinced me to do so I'm very glad he did it seemed a little slimy at the time but I was like you know what I'm so glad he pushed me to do that because uh, once I had some understanding and knowledge uh, the money just started coming to date I've done almost 1100 some houses and uh, really ever I'm using some of my own money now but for the most part you know a lot of people want to invest and I want to keep their money out there working so uh, you know that's how I fund all my flips mm. what are the most common mistakes that people make that scares them away from house flipping Probably I would say, the, well, first is that just going at it alone, right? Going, you don't necessarily have to hire a coach, but you have to have an understanding of the best practices, right? There is the, there's the practices that are taught on YouTube and Facebook, and there's a lot of people teaching stuff that sounds really cool because it's an easy selling product, you know, to make it sound super jazzy. And, you know, they're thinking about selling a product, but not what actually works, the most efficient route to get a result. And for years, I went through that struggle of hiring gurus and people who uh, said they were great house flippers, but they were really more teachers and they weren't doing it anymore. So they hadn't done it in years, matter of fact. So a lot of what they were teaching was very out of date. So one of the big things you have to be careful of is really learning outdated information and not getting the newest information from someone who is actively flipping. So, you know, there's people that work with me and I do coaching and I'm not plugging that right now. Uh, but I would say get a coach that you trust and like. It's someone who is actively in the business who can give you that new hot stuff. Because um, if you go in with the, the incorrect plan house flipping can be very dangerous but with a really good plan um you know you can really kind of stack the deck for yourself in a big way Mm-hmm. nice do you feel that anybody can start today and succeed at house flipping 
Well, I, I totally believe that. And, uh, and, you know, I'm sure you'll probably love this, this statement, but, uh, anyone who is willing to put the work in and has the right mindset can do it for sure. Um, the only reason I've ever seen people fail at house flipping is just a lack of doing the work that needs to be done. You know, it's, um, maybe they've been sold too much on it being like a get rich quick scheme or, you know, MLM or something. It's not, I mean, it's like any business you work at it and it happens to be, in my opinion, the most rewarding business you can be in with the least amount of money since that is something you can leverage other people's monies uh, it's not like buying a subway for 80 or 100 grand and working 10 hours a day and making 100k a year it has a lot of upwards mobility if you get great at it and uh, so a lot of people i would say that it's just a, a matter of like mindset and then being persistent until you win because that's how this business works right we, we put a, a plan together we go out and test the plan it gives us feedback and then from that feedback we tweak and then we go out and test Plan B, Plan C, D, E, F, G, and we do it until it works. When it all gets completely where it's working perfectly and making money and you can repeat it, then you can scale it and grow it and start doing two houses at a time, four houses, ten, all the way to the point where I was doing 150 a year. But it started with doing one house and really well. Mm. And it was that's the only way you can grow. So how do you complete a 45K renovation in seven days? So what we found out, everyone, this was a – fun thing that we did we, we really were doing this because i had a lot of back and forth with my project managers we were trying to do 45k renovations in five to six weeks and you know a few times they give me a little resistance of uh, some limiting beliefs of that being too quick and one thing i said to them was i watched a show called extreme renovations where they would go in and just renovate a whole house while someone went to disney world for five or six days and how they did that was manpower they would have 150 people in the house at once like working 24 hours a day for five or six days and i realized uh when i'd said that statement to them, i was like you know it's really just a manpower issue to do something if you want something done faster then you need more good quality manpower uh so i offered a challenge and my project manager accepted it and me and him decided to start planning out and you know started thinking about what if we could do it what would it look like how would that work and so we spent two weeks planning it out and um we went out and did it and uh, we just got super organized got 20 to 22 people every day working in the house about 10 to 12 hours a day and uh, we were able to do the whole renovation in seven days now it normally takes us about five or six weeks to do that renovation so that was uh for us it it really opened up our minds once that was once that happened mm, beautiful Pioneering, man, that's what it is, pioneering. So how should someone approach this business so that they don't burn out? So a lot of not burning out is uh, setting expectations correctly. You know, a lot of times, are in, even me, I work on this today, 10 years into this game, and, and it's, you know, setting correct expectations is going to be really big. You know, knowing how much work you have to, how many offers you didn't make, how much work you need to do in order to get a result. And once you have those really, uh, once your expectations are set well, then you have no problem really not burning out because now you'll know. And the second thing I would add to that is having good expectations is eventually, once you get good at this, you have to figure out what part of this business you love and then hire out everything you hate because there's someone out there that loves what you hate and that's when the business gets a really fun and 
great to own. So today I work uh, 15 hours a week at my business, but I do things that I wake up with a, a complete passion to do. I mean, I would do it for free. I love everything that I do in my business, and I don't see myself ever retiring from it because I love it so much. So that happens once you've been in the game a year or two and your process is working really well. You can start making enough money once you're doing, say, five to seven flips a year. You can make enough money to hire someone to do everything you hate, and there's someone out there that loves the things you hate. It's just about finding that different personality profile. Name one of the things you hate. Paperwork, man. <laughs> Paperwork drives me crazy. I can do it like anything else, but I have to say, just sitting there piling through paperwork and doing all that is not the thing I love. What I do love is the design of the homes, you know, talking to sellers and trying to negotiate deals and strategically thinking through and planning things is very fun for me. The, the layout of the properties, uh, analyzing deals, that's very fun. And the things that are fun for me, all the people I've hired, they hate what a passion. So they're just like, Mike, uh, it's time to do that. You do it. And I get on and do it. And it's like, no problem. And like, Thank you. And then they get to do everything that I hate you know they get forced to do sometimes when they're not around but when they are around uh most of the time i don't have to do any of those things and so paperwork is a really a big one and just organizing all little teeny details i hate it too <laughs> can't stand yeah. it i i i do i have i avoid it as much as i possibly can how can you talk to motivated sellers to double your results the major change that I made, and this really only happened about 18 months ago, I've been working with a coach from EMeth for the last couple of years, and we've been diving through my business. But one of the things for years, I'd learned all these different sales tactics from all the different sales gurus, which worked really well in a very different market when the, when the buyers were pretty desperate and it was completely a buyer's market. We've had a shift over the last three or four years where now we're in a seller's market and the sellers are in control. And the, the unique di di dynamic that I've been able to create, and, and I learned this honestly from choice center was I used to go in and like, you know, have these sales tactics and, you know, I would have conversations that were very strategic. Now I go in and I build relationships which old Mike couldn't understand, right? Old Mike is like, get to the point. You do this, this, and this. You make this much money. New Mike is like, go in, talk about the dog, the grandkids. Do that for two hours. It doesn't matter how long I do it. Talk about real estate as much as they would like and listen, listen, listen. So I go in and build like really deep rapport with them. I come from a genuine place where I'm not doing that as a tactic. I'm doing it because I'm genuinely interested in their story and what they have going on. And, um, you know, I just generally like the people I get to work with. And now when that happens... I find with all this competition I have, um, I've been able to double my conversion rate. So, because we are getting less leads today because it's so competitive. So, what I realized I had to do is I had to start getting more out of what the, the lesser leads. And um, I've been doing that through just like being very authentic, honest, um, genuinely building rapport, coming from a great place. And uh, that's making me stand out in a big way against a lot of my competition. You just hit another key that's um, very, very. That's a big topic today, and it's it's true. It's very, very true. The relationship has to come first if you want to maximize your results. Love that. Now, what are the biggest problems that can happen to a project, and how can you avoid them in advance? A lot of the biggest problems that happen, well, two big ones people struggle with. One's going to be going over budget, and the second's going to be going over timeline, how long you expect it to take. Um, all this really can be, and let's say, so this is one thing I've learned is that it's a very dynamic business. It's ever-changing. So when you put a plan together from you know start to finish on your renovation, you're going to be looking at that plan every week and, and adjusting as necessary because for many years, I try to make house flipping perfect, and I got about as close as you can get, but then there was a point where I feel like I went from 
being good at this to great is when I realized you have to calculate the variables into your equation. There are a lot of variables that happen. And when I start realizing that it's, you know, some of these little things that happen are just what is, and I have to accept that as part of my plan, everything got a lot better. So how you really are going to take and minimize them, you know, it's really hard to eliminate them, or probably I would say impossible because I spent many years trying. Uh, but if we want to just minimize them, we have to be really smart and very thoughtful about, you know, an exact plan of what we're going to do on the renovation, uh, detailing that out, you know, how much we're going to spend on each item, and just having a higher level of detail than most people. Even some of my higher level students who've done 100, 200 flips as they come in and we work together, we'll find that one of the big areas that they can improve is their level of detail they're putting into this investment. And you really think about a house offering you 40K in income, you would think that we would do a lot to that, right? We would spend a lot of time planning and thinking. But funny enough, a lot of people, and me included for many years, we we get into these renovations and we just kind of don't treat them as a, a 40K check, like it's what it is. 40K is a lot of money. It's most, some people's, uh, not most, but some people's yearly income in one flip. So treating it like it's an individual business, planning it out in deep detail, knowing like this is every little best practice for this and then following through with it and staying on it and changing it as necessary would be probably my biggest advice I could give for someone to kind of minimize uh, big mistakes. Mm-hmm. Sounds good, my friend. Besides the money, what do you find attractive and excitement, exciting about house flipping? Well, I love the freedom that it's created for me recently. In the last couple of years, since I've gotten smarter about how I'm doing it, I'm only working 15 hours a week. I also can work anywhere. I have a Wi-Fi signal. So if I that 15 hours a week could be done on a beach in Costa Rica or anywhere I want to be in this world. Uh, I have found that it doesn't work on cruise ships because they have fake Wi-Fi. They charge you 300 bucks for it and it doesn't work. So cruise ships are a little sketchy, but everywhere else I'm good to go. I just have to find a coffee shop where I'm at and I'm good. So I love the freedom of it. In the last couple of years since I've gotten down, I've uh, traveled more in the last few years than my probably two or three times more than my life combined. And I've got an opportunity to meet really amazing people, see different cultures, and really get a deep respect for how lucky we are to be Americans and how great America really is. When you see how other people are living in other countries, there's some great things you can learn, but there's also this sense of uh, we're very fortunate to, to be in probably what I consider to be the greatest country in the world. Nice. Do you also... Um know about the Canadian real estate market? Could you help people in Canada? Very much. Actually, I have uh, multiple students in Canada, and uh, I, I had to learn a little of a, it's a slight change. There's some laws and stuff, but same common practices. You know, the core values are the same. You just have a couple small changes that, you know, from versus like a Canadian tax law, you know, different laws that are happening in Canada versus uh, America. Which cities do you focus on in Canada? The couple of students I have are in Toronto, all around that Toronto area. So like Hamilton, Toronto, so like the east coast of it. You're talking to Toronto right now, you know. Yes, yeah. And then so Toronto is the area where my students are. It's a great, and all around there, Hamilton is where they do a lot of work. And, and uh, I don't know all the different names because I can't remember them all. But yeah, they, they, they're kind of based out of Toronto and now working all around that area. You familiar with Leslieville? I'm not. I'm not familiar with that. That's that's the area I live in. It's actually a, the film district. There's oh. there's a lot of studios here. A lot of film studios here in the in this area. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful section. Uh, what is your favorite book? 
My favorite all-time book is How to Win Friends and Influence People. I read it three months ago for the maybe third or fourth time, and every single time I read it, I take a new lesson from it and realize that I didn't actually comprehend most of it. And so I probably put it on a schedule now to read it every six months until I can really start to utilize a lot of the great value in that book. That book could be read probably every year for the rest of your life, and you could never stop taking value from it. Well, because it's about people and relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I've, you're not the first person. I'm not surprised to hear that. Do you have a favorite quote? <clears throat> favorite quote, and I don't know if I remember who said it, but I, favorite quote is, uh, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And I think that was Henry Ford, maybe. That's, but, uh, that's, could be that's, that's okay. who they attributed to, yeah. Okay. All right. I love that saying, and I completely agree <laughs> with it. Well, I mean, that that's the basis of my, my whole show. It's like, what story... And by story, I mean, what belief are you choosing to hold on to? That's going to become your truth. 100%. You know, know, truth is not something objective, although we love to believe it is. And that's a (laughs) cop-out. If you, let me ask you, all right, yeah, I will ask you this one now. If you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world, just one now, what would it be? You know, I have to be honest, I think about this quite commonly and it's, I mean, it's not unusual for me to have this thought of like, could we magically change some things? And when I really start to have like an acceptance of where we are and what life is, and I realize I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be and most people are exactly where they're supposed to be. You know, we've earned where we are and we have what we we do. And um, I realize I probably would keep the world just the same. I mean, I don't think I'd have the right to change anything. I believe that if I want to change something, that it would be up to me to do that for myself in my own world, in my own environment, and then just uh, make that happen. As I think it's like, you know, we love to say things like, I'd love to, you know, have world peace, but I wonder if, like, as humans, we really want that. Yeah, I think at some level there has to be conflict. People, people, it's ingrained into us. Well, well, that would be a subject for an entirely other podcast, but it's a great answer. Um, I think you're the first person who said they wouldn't want to change anything, but I understand exactly where you're coming from. And it's a, it is a very good answer. Is there anything that uh, I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? No, very thorough. We got into some great stuff. So thank you so much for all the great questions and, uh, you know, being able to share some of my stories. And I hope that it's helpful to some of the listeners out there. Well, I think it can, it is. I think it shall be. I mean, it's like, you know, talking about a person's success is fascinating. But when a person can balance that against where you came from and the fact that you didn't just fall into success, you actually, everything in your life said you'll never have it. That is more inspiring than anything else. So, yeah, it's great stuff. Um, are there any final thoughts that you would like to leave the uh, the audience with? I don't think there is, actually. I mean, uh, we've covered a, quite a bit of stuff, and yeah, it's... Good stuff. I'm actually taking notes the whole time we've been talking. So uh, I have a book, Bold, that I'm going to read, and I'm going to check out your movie, Recall. That sounds awesome. And I'm really excited. Thank you for all the, you know, an opportunity to be on the show and just a great feedback. You're a great interviewer and great questions, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And how can people contact you? 
best way to get in contact with me is going to my website, which is the flipfactor.net. Uh, also, if you want to email me personally, it's mike at the flipfactor.net. Uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me. I'm pretty responsive. I always try to communicate with people. Yeah, you know, one big thing that I love doing these days, and it's been a big part of my giving back, is uh, I help and you know get a lot of people into the business, uh, no charge at all, through my like, Facebook, the podcast, and everything. So that's been very rewarding for me. Is uh, hopefully maybe what my legacy will be one day is that I've been able to help a lot of people change their financial their financial world. And do you also offer courses if people are really serious and want to study? I do. I offer courses, so I don't do a lot of um, what I bought over the years were like courses where you're like, here you go, check it out. Here's the magic wand and secrets, and you know that's just 2K or something. I do a lot of actually just working with people in like group settings and helping them get results. Because for me, over the years, where I got the best results uh, is when someone actually worked with me and kept me accountable every week for long periods of time. And I couldn't, you know, the weekend boot camp just got me pumped up, but I, I had a hard time following through with all the amazing ideas and different things I'd learned. So uh, what I found found out about three years ago and it was one of the big life changers for me i was working with a coach it was just weekly i still work with that coach three years later every single week and the work we have to do is um it's longer than most might expect right we we all in our minds hope that we could change the world overnight but most of the time we can't mm-hmm. you've uh, you really have learned a lot man because i mean i hear the authenticity and the wisdom and everything that you're saying uh, so for me, it's been very enriching to just um, hear you talk, my friend. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much also. You are welcome. And thank you, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Mike Green. What an inspiring person. Listening to him, think about this. What circumstances in your life do you believe are holding you back or completely stopping you from having things that you would love to have because they're just a story. I know that might sound, if you're holding on to that belief, that's going to sound like, he, you know, Louis DiBianco doesn't know. He just doesn't know my circumstances. I don't even have to have met you all circumstances, this is what I know, are only obstacles if we allow them to be obstacles. And you know what? Beneath the surface, if you dig a little bit, you're going to find something a little bit scary, but it's worth confronting. That although the circumstance really hurts, we hold on to it. Because it's easier to do that than to make that big effort to change. And once you make the effort, wow, the change is just, well, it's a breath of fresh air. So, whatever it is, if you really want something and you're not moving toward it, make the decision right now. That's it. I've had enough. I'm going to change my story. Begin by settling down and asking quietly, how can I change my story and change my life? 
Tune in to the next episode of Luis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.